the enemy is upon us. It's time to dig in, to stand our ground, and watch for the next attack. You're in the Fox with Jason Mark. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Foxhole, where we stand our ground and watch for the enemy's next move. Today is Tuesday, the 23rd of January, 2024. We're coming to you live on freeworld.fm. Hey, if you're listening out there, make sure you jump over the chat. That's where it's really happening. So um, anyway, tonight, what we got in store for you, uh, Mr. Chris Graves is joining me tonight. And we had a show lined out, but uh, the guests uh, had an, a family emergency. So we're doing an impromptu show. And we're going to get to know uh, Mr. Chris Graves. Uh, so he is my official guest now, and I appreciate you coming on, Chris. Uh, I know you're a researcher, a podcaster. You write screenplays. Uh, you're the host of Digging Chris Graves, Cranium Blender, Don't Take Our Word For It, a couple other podcasts. Uh, you're a guest on multiple people's shows. You're kind of like all over the Internet and doing all kinds of uh, awesome things. So uh, let me just introduce again the one and only Chris Graves. How you doing, brother? Hey, thanks for having me on. <clears throat> it's uh, it's a pleasure. Yeah, so um, I guess we'll we'll kick it off. Uh, a lot of people know who you are, but you know, I I won't really know who Chris is. So okay. uh, I've seen a lot of the pictures you post and a lot of the videos you've posted, and you've kind of been around. You know, you've been East Coast, West Coast. You've went out and seen Bill Cooper, uh, Bill Cooper's grave. You've been to the grassy knoll, um, all that kind of like neat stuff that uh, most of us never get a chance to do in our lifetime. So I guess we'll start off with like, uh, what got you ticking? What got you started uh, down this adventurous path? In terms of, in terms of uh, visiting different weird sites or uh, just research? Yeah. Or? Well, let's just go back even further. Um, I know you're kind of an 80s guy, you know. Yep. Um, so like when you were younger, what got your mindset into like, I want to know more about X, Y, and Z and actually go out and, and visit it and maybe write some stories. Uh, kind of give us a background on that. The movie A Nightmare on Elm Street scared scared the heck out of me. Uh, actually, the first two, A Nightmare on Elm Street and A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. And I actually had an actor on uh, Digging Chris Graves recently uh, twice. Uh, I had a follow-up interview with him. He played the coach that gets, uh, <laughs> he gets slaughtered in the uh, shower um by a teenager that's possessed by freddy krueger so his name was marshall his name is not was but is marshall bell and uh i hope to uh continue talking with mr bell for uh, many years to come but those uh i'd say those original two nightmare on elm street movies my babysitter actually uh <laughs> she was probably you know mid-teens or whatever but this was like 1987 and it was when VHS was like brand new for those out there. VHS used to be what uh, came before DVD and before streaming and, and everything else. But uh, it literally was a cassette tape, basically. And she thought it was a good idea to show a four-year-old um, the first two Nightmare on Elm Street movies, which are actually pretty brutal compared to the rest of the series. And uh, that got me scared to, that scared the heck out of me. So I... Went and got old issues of Fangoria magazine, which is a horror magazine, which I also got to interview on my Get Mad show last year. Tony Timpone, 
I think that's how you pronounce it, Timponi or Timpone. Anyway, he was the editor-in-chief of Fangoria. And Fangoria specialized in horror movies and like special effects and things like that. So I, I found that the more I research, talk about research, like the more I researched how the movie the different movies were made, made it less scary to me and it made it more intriguing in terms of storytelling and, you know, like uh, <clears throat> kind of like a magic trick, like a cinema, good cinema or, you know, just cinema in general or just hope movies in general, because some people might not think of Nightmare on Elm Street as being uh, cinema, but I do. It's just a great magic trick with, uh, you know, tr you know, shadows and, uh, you know, sleight of hand kind of thing. So I think researching things in general, not just, you know, conspiracy stuff, goes all the way back to my fascination with why I was so scared by this boogeyman with that had razors on his hands and he haunted people's dreams. And I always thought that was a cool kind of campfire ghost story kind of thing, too. Any good horror movie is a good campfire story. Yeah, you know, I similar thing, you know, we, we had uh, my, one of my mom's friends, uh, her teenage daughters used to babysit us and they thought it was great. You know, I that's where I first seen Nightmare on Elm Street. I seen uh, Evil Dead Part 2, um, which wasn't so much scary. It was kind of funny. But, you know, as a little kid, it, the, the little we called them the Taz running through the wood. And then you yeah. finally bust through the door and it's like a tree or something. Um, yeah. <laughs> That, uh, but the one that scared the hell out of me was Pumpkinhead. I don't know why that one scared me, uh, for years. Uh, it was 1987 with Mr. Lance Hendrickson from uh, Aliens. He played Bishop in Aliens, I think he was in that. And Stan Winston, I don't know if you're familiar with <clears throat> his work, but he's the one that would later go on to create uh, the dinosaurs for uh, Steven Spielberg in Jurassic Park. That was his, oh, wow. that was his directorial debut was pumpkin head so yeah i did not know that um i know it was really scary then they made a two a part two of that it wasn't as scary in my opinion blood wings yeah, yeah. Part two, and that was in 94 yeah, it was yeah i was old you know like i watch the movies now like uh chucky uh chucky scared the crap out of me um me now i i look at it and it's kind of corny um but i think it's because of age you know and, and the cgi makes the you know the newer stuff so much more realistic that uh I don't right. know, but and back in those uh, days, child's play. Yeah, that first one yeah. wasn't played for laughs. That first one was kind of a, a scary thing. If you can get beyond the you know doll coming to life aspect, it was actually pretty serious in tone. Later on, they would make like Bride of Chucky, where they had black comedy and things like that. But yeah, yeah. All right, so uh, so you kind of got into the the movie kind of aspect and interested in it there. Where did you go from there? Like as you were growing up through you know junior high and high school. In junior high, I started uh, realizing, hey, uh, I got some ideas here for different movies. So there was one movie going back to Nightmare on Elm Street, right? Um, there was rumors in the early nineteen in the late eighties, early nineties that they were planning on teaming up Freddy Krueger with Jason Voorhees of Friday the Thirteenth, either teaming them up in one movie or having them fight, to, you know, against one another in one movie, Freddy versus Jason. Yeah, I chronicled, <clears throat> I chronicled that movie project in uh, in print in the days before the internet. That's all you could find out, you know, like in, in the magazine Fangoria or Cinescape or Cinema, Cinema Fantastique was another one. 
all these uh, Gar Goldsmith would know all these too, by the way, all, all these different movie related magazines, they would have in their news section, like what was going into production at the time. And every now and then you'd see a tidbit about, uh, oh, Freddy versus Jason, There's New Line Cinema and Paramount Pictures are trying to cut a deal so that they can uh, make a movie together with Freddy and Jason. That fascinated the heck out of me that I started writing, um, so much so that I started writing my own version of a Freddy versus Jason like sc script, like a screenplay or whatever, as much as a 12 year old can you know write a screenplay but I, I was doing it in notebooks like in 1995 96 so that got that got me going thinking that hey maybe uh maybe i should just be a screenwriter in, in general you know so i wanted to make my first i was a big fan of kevin smith kevin smith's independent filmmaker not maybe not so much anymore but he you know he was on the that show comic book men uh, he's Silent Bob in the Jay and Silent Bob movies that he also writes and directs. I was a big fan of Clerks, which came out in 1994. And that was a movie that he was able to kind of put his own money together, like through credit cards and selling his comic book collection, everything to raise the money. It was $27,000 in 1993. And he was able to kind of make his own movie because he was a fan of independent film at the time which... can, can i ask you a question before we get too far off i've always wanted to know this i've seen i haven't seen the whole of clerks but i've seen like part of it um yeah. is it it was it filmed in black and white as part of the 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 aura of it or was it because of the budget well here's the funny thing about that what <laughs> on the press circuit for clerks when it first came out after it was in at sundance and miramax bought it and put you know, wanted to distribute it. Originally, uh, people, critics were asking uh, Kevin in those interviews, he goes, yeah, was it like a stylistic choice to have, like, have the whole movie as if it was filmed from, like, the store security camera? And Kevin was like, <laughs> Kevin was like, uh, yeah, sure. Like, he kind of went <laughs> along with it. It was not that. And then he, he admitted that he was like, yeah, 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 that was the whole plan to begin with. That was not the plan. What happened was you film in color. That raises the budget in terms of the film stock and everything. Okay, so you know, it was a cost thing. That's yes. I, I always wondered that. Um, yeah. uh, you know, it wasn't done like the Blair Witch Project was done intentionally to be bad. You know, <laughs> right, right. I'm not saying Clerks is bad. I'm just saying that it's black and white instead of color. And I always right. wondered if that was a choice or a budgeting issue so if you ask uh, kevin back in the day in 94 he go he, he was he would totally own it and say yeah sure but years later it's like yeah he's like no that it was uh much much cheaper to uh film in black and white with the film stock and color and and you got to remember back then too they didn't have the best lighting package either in the convenience store so everything would be had this tint of green to it if they were to use the uh fluorescent lights that would have been prepared uh, for it so black and white was the way to go and uh, i uh i think it turned out pretty well but um that was an inspiration for me wanting to be not just a writer like the freddy versus jason thing was but uh a director like a film uh, independent film maker and uh i wanted to make my own clerks if you will called wasted youth back in 2003 i'm kind of behind the ball with that because we're going on what 2030 right now um but that was like that was kind of like about a uh, someone loosely based on myself they say you know write what you know right when 
when it comes to writing or, or even filmmaking, just write what you know. And it was just about a, uh, a 20 something that was having a midlife crisis or a quarter life crisis and like going through a whole bucket list of things that they, you know, this person never got to do in their youth that they felt like they missed out on. And, uh, that never ended up happening, but eventually I would like to try to make that at some point, even if I'm in my, you know, seventies. So we'll see what happens, you know, Turn now I, I totally get it. Um, you know, you, you being into the Fangoria, uh, especially like, like you said, there was no internet. So yeah. to, to be able to get those resources and, and get those early on kind of scripts, uh, you had to be extremely dedicated, kind of like a Marvel or a DC fan. Yeah. Um, you know, with the comic books or even people who collect baseball cards, you know, back then, you, if, if you were into it that much that you had access to that, then you were dedicated. So it seems to me like you just wanted to tell your own story, like you had an idea how to maybe not necessarily do it better, but do it different, add something interesting and you want to tell that story. Now, yeah. did you chase anything in school as far as did you join like the drama club or take a writing class or anything like that that was going to put you in that path or you self-taught i was in a tv production class and okay. that was actually the class i was in um for most of uh or at least the first few hours of 9 11 2001 i was in tv production class during that when it first happened when we saw the the second plane hit the tower live i was in psychology class you know, go figure but as the bell wow. rang as the bell rang and then we found out about the Pentagon, literally by, um, I forget the correspondent, but they were the war correspondent that were at the Pentagon saying that the building like was shaking and that something was going on. So during all that, in the transition from one class to the next, uh, TV production class actually um, is where a majority of the, uh, <clears throat> the 2001 9-11 attacks happened for me, uh, including, I think, the first tower ended up going down close to when that class was ending. So then that, you know, so anyway, um, yeah, I was in TV production class and we would film like goofy skits, things like that, you know, for the morning announcements. I actually, I put together a, um, I was really involved with cable access at the time because I wanted to make little sitcoms, little sketch shows with my friends and everything. And we had this thing called the Untitled Show. And we would do skits like 30 seconds of silence, right? was one of them. And we would just have like, we'd have the camera focused on something weird or like someone's expression and like weird stuff happening behind them. Like really goofy stuff, like nothing to write home about. I think at the end we had, I, I think I ended up just throwing all those tapes out, but I had like things called, I had another show called Screams and Entertainment where it was me, me and my buddy Max talking about, horror movies that I was just mentioning, but we would show the trailers for them. Like we would talk all about it. So it was kind of like an early podcast, but this was like 1996, 95, 96. I was doing cable access, like, cause it was in the back of our school and I was trying to create shows like uh, comedy review is another one. And I think I had me and my sister in like 1994. It was just, I was getting a kick out of the fact that you would get like the local newspaper and they would have the TV listings and it would say comedy review with Chris Graves, like right there. And I was like, whoa, you know, it was looking back. That is so cool. So you got your feet wet early on in like the, kind of the public sphere. Wow. That's interesting. That's very yeah. interesting. 
So yeah. my only claim to fame is uh, I was in uh, I was in my oh, it's was, it was probably about 94, same time frame. But uh, David Blaine uh, filmed his street magic. Yeah. House, and he, he did the card trick where he throws the cards against the glass. Right. And uh, and uh, <clears throat> and they did it in front of Shelly, uh, Shelly Cafe on Hollywood, which doesn't exist anymore. I think it's a right. cell phone store or something stupid like that now. <laughs> it was an I iconic place. It was an iconic place for decades. But anyway, um, he pans across to get, you know, to show the card on the on the glass. Yeah. And there I am sitting in there having a cup of coffee. So <laughs> I had to, I had to sign a release. So that's my only claim to fame for TV, man. That's it. Well, um, I was, uh, I was an extra in a couple of movies. Uh, one was called the game plan with the rock where the yeah. rock was, he was playing a quarterback. It was a Disney movie. He was, yeah, playing. yeah. I remember that was a good movie. They for filmed Disney, it down, but... Yeah. They filmed it down the street from my house at Gillette stadium, which before you know, like it'd be, it's where the Patriots and Tom Brady and all that stuff happened so i was playing a security guard on the field and the the rock actually talked to me for like a second when he was uh, in between the shots or whatever and uh he couldn't have been a nicer guy so but it was weird seeing him play like a quarterback because he kind of lost he kind of lost a lot of the muscle mass from the wrestling stuff or even like um what was it the uh from the mummy there um not the lion i almost said the lion king but it was, the Mummy uh, Returns, where where he's the Scorpion dude, the Scorpion King. That was yeah, it, yeah. Scorpion King. That's so he had all the muscles and everything, right? But he lost the muscle mass to play a quarterback in this movie, uh, the game plan. And then later on, a couple of years after that, I got to be like in a couple of scenes uh, chasing Cameron Diaz, like through the Boston Public Library in a movie called The Box, by uh, Richard Kelly, the guy that uh, wrote and directed Donnie Darko. And that that was pretty it was pretty cool because it took place in like 1976, and we're supposed to be all kind of like zombies, like possessed by aliens that were found on Mars and stuff. It's way out there, but it's a couple of scenes where I had my long hair at the time, and I'm wearing like these uh, these Elton John like uh, uh, rainbow glasses or whatever, and I'm like pushing a a book cart across the, across the way because it's in a library and everything. But I'll tell you one other thing though. You can't really see me in it, but I got to be an extra in Lowell, Lowell, Massachusetts. I forget the name of the uh, stadium or whatever, but they were filming the movie um, The Fighter. And I got to talk to Christian Bale. And this was like after he was already being Batman at the time. Because okay. he played Mark Wahlberg's like older brother who was like kind of a junkie or whatever. And uh, he was nice to me. And this was after his whole outburst on the Terminator Salvation set, like. Where he's like yelling at the, the uh, camera guy and everything. It was like this thing in the news at the time where Christian Bale lost his lost his mind, you know, was yelling at people. But he couldn't have been nicer to me. But yeah, no, that's pretty much it in terms. I wish I had more uh, on a resume for acting because I ended up going out to Hollywood to try to be a character actor. You know, like one of those people you recognize but on film, but maybe not necessarily know their name, you know. Yeah, so uh, I was actually offered to be an extra on Baywatch, and this is when I was in my early twenties, and right. I had the I had the long hair, you know, I was I was in shape and everything, and uh, yeah. a lot better looking back then. But um, I I declined it, and I was going to ask if they do you on the East Coast doing this if, if it was the same way. But um, somebody was going to hook me up and said, "Hey, I can get you over there, and you can kind of you kind of chill out, you kind of wait around, and they say, oh, okay, well, I need you five to come out here and run around and." Play volleyball on the beach so you're just an extra right and um 
and you know if you get like one scene uh you get so much money uh you get two scenes if, if you get one line then you get a little bit of extra money if you get two lines and anything three lines and above you had to get an agent to negotiate right so that's why a lot of the, the extras won't say anything or they just mm, you know make a noise <laughs> that's right so, well, here's the thing they here is the thing with that like if you were able to become be if you were able to have a speaking part or have lines in three consecutive screen actor screen actor guild uh, productions yeah. three you get like an automatic and this is back in like 2007 like from what i'm talking about if you got three consecutive productions in a row like vouchers like showing your pay and everything apparently that was like an invite to join the screen actors guild where you could actually have you know speaking roles and things like that now see what they told me was uh that i couldn't even be there waiting around unless i joined and i don't know if it was a screen actors guild or if it was a union or maybe it was only for baywatch was but it, I, I was essential casting because i joined them too and it, it might have been i okay. just I, I thought it was kind of silly that i was going to lose a day of work not get paid okay. to, I, I have to pay someone to not get paid for the day you know right. so i i opted out of it i was like nah and plus i'm i'm a ginger i would have sunburnt out there on the <laughs> you know the beach but yeah. uh that, yeah, I thought about doing it, but uh, I just didn't see the benefit. Now, if, so, if I knew somebody that said, hey, I'm going to get you a part and yeah. you're going to get paid, hell yeah, I would have done it, you know? Oh, yeah. So, Well, that's the thing. If you're like an actor out there and um, you can actually make maybe not a decent living, but you can kind of make your rent um, if you're, you know, if you're involved with something like central casting, that's a, an agency that's involved with like, supplying the background extras to most of yeah. the productions out there whether it's tv or film so you can get like 200 bucks a day and i know that doesn't sound like much now but at, in like 2008 and 2009 when i was out there in los angeles it was like yeah if you had a couple of um, roommates and stuff you could make that work you know yeah or if you wanted to take the bus for six hours and live on the outskirts because <laughs> people don't that know bus, that bus system sucks yeah it, it does now las vegas is very efficient you can right. get almost anywhere uh, anything south of the the main bus station you know you get to north las vegas that's a transfer or whatever but it's all a grid so right. when i live there um you you get a bus you know pay your bus fare and you get a transfer to a token and it would take you down one street and then you get to your cross street, you jump off, get on the next bus and it takes you to your destination. So you get anywhere in, in South Las Vegas in two buses. So I don't know about the Henderson. I think that would be a little bit different because that kind of spread out everywhere. But right. as far as the strip and the area around the strip, uh, very, very efficient. But no, my first day in um, in Los Angeles, I think I was in San Dimas is where oh, I left yeah. out. Yeah. And I got on the bus and my buddy, I was with my buddy where it is. Uh, cousin's house or something i just wrecked my car out there like in san dimas and he's like well i got a cousin that lives here at two o'clock in the morning we go go there and they let us in and uh the next morning we get up early he says i want to go to santa monica pier we didn't oh, get there till nighttime right and and i didn't see the sun all day because it was so overcast yeah. i was like this place sucks you know <laughs> like, it really sucks well, but when it's nice and sunny, uh, Santa Monica Pier can be kind of nice. Like, yeah, it, it was nice. Uh, it was nice there. It just was uh, dark by the time I got there, and um, and then I lived, ended up living in LA for a while, and I actually enjoyed it. It's just that first day was a bad impression. 
Well, when I found out about the uh, the Boston bombing, I was getting a text message from um, one of my very, very good friends to this day saying, oh, they did it again. And I was like, what are you talking about? It was like the day before I was ready to go back. Actually, I was on the way back to Burbank Airport to fly back to Boston. And all the stuff was going on that day. And it was April 3rd, April 15th, I think. Yeah, 2013. So that I was on the pier showing my mother and sister like the different sites of California and stuff. And it was during the Boston bombing that we were actually literally on the pier that I got a text message saying, oh, Boston just got bombed. I'm like, oh, great. We're flying back in there like in a few hours. So that's great. And lo and behold, when we got there at Logan Airport, which was actually the beginning of 9-11, too, unfortunately, there were state troopers with like AK 47s everywhere. It was really a, really a, a weird sight because it hadn't really been like that since 2001 with 9 11, you know? Yeah. All right. So um, <laughs> let's, let's talk about uh, what I, I know. I think the next big thing for you was um, you got, you know, you did some travels. Maybe we could talk about your adventures a little. I don't know if that happened before you started doing your researching for books or after. Um, yeah, no, I've been going to weird, like, either, either, either movie sites or, like, I had a thing during, like, the lock, even before the lockdowns of 2020, like, in 2019, I was driving my family around to different sites. Like, we went up to Bangor, Maine. We checked out, like, Stephen King's mansion, like, right there. Uh, we checked out Betty and Barney Hill. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They were some of the first documented uh, UFO uh, Duckies, I guess, in the early 1960s. Betty and Barney Hill. They even made a TV movie of the week about them with James Earl, James Earl Jones. It was like 1975. We went to their graves in New Hampshire. We went to the supposed site where that happened too, which was in the White Mountains. Which coincidentally, I mentioned this with Tony. I think on the UFO Paratruth or um, Infinite Fringe crossover thing we did, where when I was in Arizona, after going to visit Bill Cooper's grave, I went to Snowflake, which was the town of Travis Walton of the movie Fire in the Sky. Yeah, that where, movie scared. That's what got me really into UFOs. Yeah. Was in 1993, my father was supposed to take me to go see Teenage Mutant Ninja, the, the third Ninja Turtles movie where they had time travel and everything. My father was like, we're not going to see that shit. And then we ended up going to see Fire in the Sky, and it was one of the only decent things the guy ever did. And I, I appreciated that after the fact that I was mad at the at the time because I wanted to see, you know, time travel and Ninja Turtles, but Fire in the Sky was a lot better than that, you know. Yeah, I, was anyway, a... I brought that up because okay. the White Mountains play it. It's not the same White Mountains, but they were called the White Mountains of uh, Travis Walton's UFO abduction incident. And then on the other coast of, um, you know, on the East Coast, the Betty and Barney Hill abduction was in the White Mountains as well in New Hampshire. And I'm just saying it was just a weird thing where the, two of the most famous or infamous UFO abduction sites or stories in general involve the White Mountains. <laughs> you know, I always thought that That's was weird. weird. What's the yeah. chances, you know? I don't know. That's crazy. I cut you off. Sorry. No, no, I, um, I forget what I was even going to say. <laughs> anyway, what other cool places you've been? Um, oh, I was going to ask if you've ever been down to uh, Georgia, like down in the southeast. Um, I haven't, no. Oh, uh, if you ever get a chance to go down there, uh, I know you like the, the gory stuff and the scary stuff. 
um savannah is supposed to be like the most haunted place in the, the u.s civil war uh i'm not really sure i'm sure um, probably because of slave trade and civil war uh yeah. but uh you can they actually have tours that they'll take you to all these different places that have like documented supposed hauntings yeah. and they tell you the story behind it it's, it's really neat uh my wife and i never did it just because you know it's you don't want to go in the daytime i don't even know what to do it in the daytime you want to do it at night right. and uh you know we had uh, grandkids and stuff so uh, we didn't end up doing it but I, I would love to have done it i think that would be interesting to kind of get spooked out a little oh and they had an escape room too i had a chance to do that and i i turned it down uh that would be fun to do an actual escape room in a place that was haunted that would yeah. be awesome <laughs> right well, I also got to go to uh, Martha's Vineyard, which isn't too far away from me. And I went to all the Jaws locations, you know, right there uh, on the vineyard. Because um, uh, they filmed it, the, they filmed the whole thing, like right there. And part of the sequel, Jaws 2, with, uh, Amity Island in Jaws is Martha's Vineyard. You know, some people don't know that. But and then I went and saw like the location, you know, actually in terms of research, I saw Jackie Kennedy's Redgate Farm. Or Red, yeah, Redgate Farm. That was uh, that was the piece of land that she left to her children, including John F. Kennedy Jr. And the ironic thing about that was that in the sky, not too far from uh, Jackie's Redgate Farm, is where there were a couple of witnesses that saw JFK Jr.'s plane explode, which is wow. ironic because that was his own property. So, wow, yeah. that's that's kind of crazy. Right off the tip of Philbin Beach, yeah yeah but but yeah i mean you're I gonna to, need a bigger boat we're gonna need a bigger we're gonna need a bigger boat <laughs> i've been to ground zero i mean i mean that's to kind of pay my respects that's not really you know like a joyous thing at all but uh that was about maybe a year after 9 11 because i was did actually, they have the uh the pools and the lights put up already or no, no this was like this was in september of 2002 so they had only cleared out the last of the debris a few months prior to that, but they had the American flags and everything. And okay. this was at like two in the morning because I was helping a friend of mine actually do security for bone thugs and harmony <laughs> at, uh, she had, um, BB King's club there in times square at the time. And I, that's where I actually knocked over this guy, this little guy that was holding this golden chalice. It looked like he was walking around the backstage of the nightclub, like in the hallways. And he was going, this is crunk, crunk juice. And then I didn't know what the, I didn't know what the hell that meant <laughs> Come to find out. This guy was, he went by the name of little John and he ended up becoming like a superstar for a, a couple of years after that. Like with Usher, remember that song? It was like, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know. He, crunk juice became like a big thing. Became like a big deal. He was in movies and stuff. But I, I accidentally knocked him over because he was like four feet tall. He's holding this this thing called crunk juice and like a golden chalice or whatever. I'm like, this guy is goofy as hell. But That's weird. You might was, be the most interesting man in the world, Chris. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I, I wish I could make a living at it. But uh, yeah, no, um. I'm trying to think of the other places. Uh, well, you've been to the grassy knoll. I've seen the pictures. You've been to Tom Cooper's grave. Or not Tom. Well, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Tom, if you're listening, I'm not. I'm not wishing no evil on you, brother. Bill Cooper. Uh, Bill yeah. Cooper's grave. Yeah. Bill Cooper's grave. Uh, Stephen King's house. I've been to Whitey Bulger's grave. 
I've been to uh, Benjamin Franklin's grave. I've been to the Rocky Steps. I've been to Elm Street, which is actually off of Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. I've been to. Oh, uh, I did not know that. I would have oh, went there. I would have went there. Michael Myers' house was in Pasadena, but the baby, the Jamie Lee Curtis uh, houses that she was babysitting in the movie Halloween, that was actually a street away from Elm Street. So when I watch Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween, they're only a couple streets apart off of Sunset Boulevard. One well, no was, wonder they got together. You know, well, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah, so it's you know, but I like going to explore different things, and uh, yeah, I said the Betty and Barney Hill thing, the Bill Cooper grave, um, through Texas. House. What was the, it? The Amityville Horror House. I did. Yeah, that's in Long okay. Island. Yeah, Long okay. Island. I went to Howard Stern's high school, like the Roosevelt High School that you see in the movie Private Parts, and I've been to. Howard Stern's uh, childhood home or whatever. Like, he was kind of a big Stern fan before he kind of sold out. Not kind of, he totally sold out totally. in the last 10 yeah. years. Yeah. Baba Booey, you know. Um, I went to John, I I visited uh, Andy Kaufman's grave, which is also on Long Island. I was a big Andy Kaufman fan. Uh, he played Latka on the show Taxi. Yeah, uh, yeah, the, I know. Yeah. The movie Man on the Moon was based on Andy's life, mm -hmm. played by uh, Jim Carrey. I've been to um, actually he Bernard. Did, he did really good in that movie too. Oh, he got into a zone. Yeah, he yeah. got into a weird zone where like some people were like, "Wow, he really, he really seems like he is Andy." You know that kind of thing. You know, oh, Back to the Future. I got to meet um one of my biggest uh, the kicks I ever had was I got to meet um Tom Thomas F Wilson who played Biff Tannen in Back to the Future. You know, he was making fun of me. It was at like a nightclub in East Providence, Rhode Island because he's actually a stand-up comic and i remember asking him about how he bumped into john belushi the night that uh john belushi overdosed at the chateau marmont um because apparently tom wilson was the uh he was tending the door at the comedy store which is a famous uh you know um comedy club in in los angeles in hollywood and it's right down the street from the chateau marmont I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, yeah, John Belushi uh, ran into him the, the night that he uh, he passed on uh, overdose. So I've been to Belushi's grave too. That's why I kind of brought that up. That he's um, some people think he's buried in Chicago, but as far as I could tell, he's still his grave is in uh, Martha's Vineyard. Still, I mean, I mean, it's hard to really tell, but. I've been all over the place. Yeah, Back to the Future sites like the mall and everything. I, the back lot of Universal, you know, things like that. Um, the Psycho House from, you know, Psycho, Norman Bates and all that. So that's been fun. That's that's cool, man. Um, so I guess uh, going forward, uh, you started doing some research. I know you did a lot of research for Don Jeffries. Yeah. Uh, kind of tell us what how you got started with that. I mean, how did you even get the introduction well, I'll tell you this. Um, I listened to him, and it's weird that this came up recently. There's a guy by that goes by the name of um, down. He goes by the name of Popeye, right? And he has a show called Down the Rabbit Hole with Popeye. I first heard Don Jeffries on Down the Rabbit Hole with Popeye in 2014, so it was right around the time of the first Hidden History, right? 
And I pretty much agree with everything that this Donald Jeffries guy was talking about. And then he brought up like Sandy Hook stuff too. And he brought up weird questions he had about that. And this was like really recent. This was only like a year or two years after that incident. And I just remember I ended up picking up the book uh, a little while after that because I was actually a really big fan of uh, the late Dave McGowan and his research. And I noticed that Donald Jeffries and Dave McGowan, they had similar um, material that they worked on. And I just kind of like just I, I went through every book that, you know, Donald would have. And then I would listen to any interview that I could get my hands on or just listen to rather. And eventually he ended up starting his own show on Truth, Truth Frequency Radio, TFR, years before he met... Um, tony and billy right so is that, is that terrestrial radio or was this an internet uh, no this was an internet radio show too okay. tfr like was tfr had a reputation that like 10 12 years ago or whatever they had a lot of the conspiracy people on there already um yeah they're going back to like 2007 2008 i think but yeah donald jeffries had i protest the original version was on there so I eventually started uh, paying attention to the the people that he was interviewing. Not maybe not so much his books and things because I had already read them, but he was also keeping a blog at the time for WordPress. Remember, uh, WordPress was yeah. a big thing. Yep. This is way before Substack or whatever. So I remember just reading the original post he had, and I was like, "Oh, I really like the I really like what this guy's talking about." So eventually. Um, in between jobs and things like that and, you know, life going by and everything passing me by, um, I started getting more, more interested and more curious about all these conspiracy type things. Cause to me, that was like a Rubik's cube where it was like a mystery to be solved or something. Right. Okay. So eventually I was able to kind of, um, become kind of like a help to, to him, to people like Don, I think I mentioned this on a different show recently, but I actually was with Billy Ray and John Brissom. I talked about how not only with Don's show, I figured I'd help this other guy out who was interviewing people like Dave McGowan back in the day, a guy named Ed Opperman. And I am not a big fan of Ed Opperman these days, but I thought I'd try to be a help in terms of finding different um different guests and things that you know or different topics or something because ed opperman would always be throwing things out on his different websites or twitter or facebook being like does anyone have any ideas for guests for me for my next show he would talk like that kind of you kind of i think he was from long island himself so or a jersey long island kind of thing or you know i can't really do that but just think Artie lang maybe a little bit um, so I was actually helping out both of them. Come to find out, Don Jeffries was the one that was actually showing me some compassion and actually saying thank you for for helping me here, or get thank you for throwing questions into the uh, into the chat for me to ask this guest or that or that guest, you know. So I was able to kind of make myself useful to uh, you know researchers and people with their own shows. And not really wanting any kind of credit or anything, you know, like maybe like every now and then Don would give me like a shout out or some Ed Opperman never said thank you for anything. So I, after a while, I was like, you know what? I'm a Don Jeffries guy, you know? So I just, yeah. While, while we're talking about Don real quick. Sure. 
if you're watching this, so, so this is on radio right now, but uh, go pick up Masking the Truth. This thing is so heavily shadow banned. Uh, but you don't see this on Thursday. It'll be a live replay on Rumble and Twitter. But here it is, Masking the Truth. Uh, this book, if you can't find it, if you Google search it, hey, just go to our, our website, The Knights of the Storm. Go to the read section. I've got a link that'll take you to where he sells that book if you're having trouble finding it. But help Don out. He is the greatest guy, the nicest guy. Um, he'll come on the show anytime. He'll have us on his show. It, it's like he's one of those team players. And the information here is just phenomenal. Um, I don't know what else to say. Go pick up Masking the Truth. So and I'll tell you right there, that one was one of the first books that I ever uh, helped Mr. Jeffries with starting in the lockdowns were in March of 2020. So shortly thereafter, I started sending Donald articles from all over the world about the lockdown and COVID. Yeah. And that thing took like three I, plus years. Oh, I just wish he almost needs to do a second one. Now that, you know, we've reported on this heavily in Knights of the Storm and the Foxhole. It's what gets us kicked off of YouTube. Um, talking about excess deaths, uh, the excuses behind them don't jive. You know, it's, oh, it's an aging population. Well, then why are 20-year-olds dying? You know, <laughs> the excess deaths in the youth population is skyrocketing. Um, you know, you're talking about uh, sterilization, uh, fertility rates. I mean, there's a reason we have this mass migration. The mass migration was talked about like as far back as like the 60s and 70s. Uh, by uh, they were talking about it like th that exact word replacement migration was used and because they knew somehow and this is not being me being conspiratorial this is in the in their documents they knew that we were going to have uh increased sterilization reduced birth rates and uh excess mor morbidity and then because of the the ponzi scheme of social security they realized that they couldn't pay for the money back to the people they stole it from through taxation the the elderly as they got old they wouldn't have the replacement population to be earning you know to tax them to shift it over to the old because they've done spent that money on something else it's not like your social security and here i am doing a political show now but anyway what i'll get to the point um he might want to do like a little short sequel to this uh maybe i'll talk to don about that and see if he's interested because i i have all my research and it's all World Health Organization stuff. It's uh, stuff from the NIH. It's it's all legit from from their mouth, you know. Yeah. And there's only one conclusion you can make, and that is something external was introduced, and it's not because of COVID, because the deaths came after COVID was pretty much pretty much done, you know. And anyway, I got off on a tangent there. I'm sorry, Chris. No, that's all right. No, that book that you <laughs> held up was like one of the first things I I was able to help Don with. Is masking the truth, yeah, right. and right before that was on borrowed fame, and when I saw my name in the in acknowledgments right at the beginning, I can't tell you what kind of a kick that was. And then Don signed it to like the world's greatest researcher or something like that, and I was like, all right, you know, which I'm not, but I did appreciate him writing that. It was kind of a kick, you know, just seeing being able, the idea of being able to go to a bookstore. Anywhere in the world, wherever there's still, if there are any bookstores still like up and running and being able to walk in and just like pick, take it off the shelf and there's open it up. It's like, oh, wow, this is proof I actually existed. Oh, my God. Yeah, you know, right. it was an acknowledgement. It was like a kick. And uh, I was able to do to um, I was able to assist 
Mr. Jeffries with uh, the upcoming Hidden History 3, which I think is now going to just be called uh, Down the American Memory Hole or something. I think I'm getting that wrong. but And right now I was also helping Mr. Jeffries with uh, uh, Hidden History 4 because he had so much material from me, myself, and Peter Sikosh, who's an even better, well, absolutely better researcher than I ever could be. There was so much material that Don had between the two of us and I do say two of us for re for good reason. He had to kind of split it into two different books. So, you know, there was a lot of uh, that's been going on for a while, too. The Hidden History 3 and 4. He just Don's been waiting to hear back from the publisher and things like that. But, yeah, we had on bar. Three, three has been a while. I know I, I think I talked to him about it on one show um, and it had to do with the publisher. And and I, I think he said something last I heard it was about they wanted to change the name. Um yeah, I don't know why. And, and so so it is gonna change then to it's not gonna be called a hidden history. Yeah, it's like down the American memory hole, I, I think. Yeah. He wanted to call crimes and cover-ups hidden history too, but like the prequel. And for some reason they didn't want to use the hidden history moniker um or title. I don't understand it. why, because you would think yeah. that if if I if I'm a, a buyer of hidden history one and two and yeah. and three comes out i have to go buy it you know right, it's like can't... yeah so you're gonna get all the new people that would be like hey what is this and buy that yeah and then that also helps to sell one and two if they buy three right. first right oh i gotta get one and two so it's like it's kind of like a star wars movie if, if you've seen two of them you gotta see all of them you know? right yeah and there's no at, up to date at a certain point his most successful book was hidden history you would think uh, we should probably keep the title, just, you know, the acknowledgement, you know, that there's another one out, but apparently they wanted to go a different way. So, yeah, Hidden History 3 and 4, that's what I refer to them as. You know, that, that should be coming up pretty soon, but, yeah. And, Peter and in C. 50 Cox. years, in yeah. 50 years, somebody will be doing a show, and somebody's yeah. going to say, you know, this book was actually Hidden History 3. <laughs> you know, oh, like, yeah. A little known oh, yeah. fact, you know, like Norm from... Uh, from cheers little known fact was it norm or was uh no it was the the postman the mailman. Was the postman the yeah mailman john ratzenberg right yeah. <laughs> yeah he's on all the toy story stuff john ratzenberg yeah but anyway yeah i yeah, know so, that's so the research thing wasn't really uh wasn't like a career goal or anything like because like i was saying before i wanted to make movies and i still do and i want to act you know and it's just funny how there's a lot of these conspiracies where people are like there's actors in there I'm like so it's kind of like weird for me to talk about the possibility of actors in these different scenarios and everything because I like portraying different characters and stuff you know and you had asked me before was I in the drama thing right well I was in the drama thing because I could kind of make people laugh and stuff and that's where all the girls were you know what I mean all like yeah. in, in the crew <laughs> and they making all the sets and everything and I was like all right well. You know, sure. My and brother, also, yeah. My brother did home ec, and he did the drama club in high school, and it was a smart move because that's where all the, the ladies were. All the girls are, yeah. yeah and they, a yeah. lot, there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of gay people there, which is fine. But no, I was like, oh, that's where all the that's where all the real pretty girls are, and I kind of like yeah. acting and making people laugh and stuff. So I was able to play like the goofy parts and like much ado about nothing and like different Shakespeare kind of things. And then when I was out in LA at first in 2008, I was actually asked to join the, um, 
this famous improv, or at least to uh, take classes with it, not maybe not join it proper, but the Groundlings, which a lot of Saturday Night Live alumni came from, you know, like with Second City and things like that, you know, like an improv troupe or whatever. And I had to come back to take care of family. The end. <laughs> so, you know, I've been all over the place, but I'd like to get back to answer your question from before. I, I very much would like to get back to Los Angeles. I know that's not the, that's not a very um, favorable or it's not a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Economic a lot of people in our circles are not crazy about California, but you know yeah. what? I still, when I was a little kid, I always wanted to go to Hollywood. I always wanted, I loved seeing California on TV and in the movies. There was something about California in general. I'm not talking politics. I'm talking when I was a little kid, right? And it never, years, decades before I ever stepped foot in Los Angeles or California in general, I always felt like I, I belonged there because that's where the music was. That's where movies and TV and, you know, all the arts and things like that, you know, all the cool stuff, you know, I had nothing to do with politics. And that's where it kind of gets a bad rap now, but not every, not every place is this woke blue thing, like in California. I know a lot of, oh, no, Ca California. Better vast majority of california is actually um there it's not like that at all it's kind of like new york you know yeah. new york city is you know it probably maybe syracuse um i don't know buffalo so much but uh they might be a little bit on the blue side or a lot on the blue side but upstate new york no their country their countries can be they raise cattle they ride horses um they shoot exactly. guns and california is like that too you go up in the high desert, there's people with their hot rotted out dune buggies and they're shooting guns and they're riding dirt bikes over the dunes and stuff, you know, over the dirt. Uh, you go to the Napa Valley area or not. Well, I don't know. They might be a little bit liberal. I'm not sure about their politics, but it's just beautiful. It's well-maintained. Uh, yeah. Monterey is beautiful. The weather uh, yeah. too. The, the weather is great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, it, and it's nice to be able to walk out into the ocean. If it's not a super, super heavy wavy day, you can walk yeah. like a quarter mile out in the ocean. Like, right. Because it, it goes down so gradually, you know, and then a big wave comes and like sucks you under. But uh, right. You know, right. That, like when it, the, Santa experience. Monica, <laughs> the Santa Monica Pier, just being it, you know, having, you know, you know, standing up knee high water, even just, you know, just nice, you know. And here I am in New England, freezing too, my behind off. And, yeah, too uh, cold to, to get in the water. Try, you know, yeah. I, don't get me wrong. I love Cape Cod. I love being on, I love being on coasts for some reason, not because I'm a super liberal because I'm actually not liberal or conservative. I'm somewhere in the middle, you know, like I think most people are, but I like being for some reason going inward to the country feels claustrophobic to me. I need to be on a coast for some reason near water. Like, I, I don't know why that is, but psychologically I have to be at the edge of something, you know what I mean? So I, I love the Pacific ocean and I love the Atlantic ocean. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like uh, I like the ocean as well, um, yeah. but if I come inland, uh, I like I like Georgia. It was a little bit hot down there, but it was really flat where I was at. Right. Um, I liked it better when I was in the army the first time. I was up in um, where is it? They do the masters in uh, Augusta. Mm. Augusta's got a, a few little gentle rolling hills. That wasn't bad, but you give me Tennessee, you give me Southern Missouri, uh, you give me uh, freaking Colorado. You yeah. know, mount, mount, like actual real mountains. That's just as good as the ocean for me. I love it. Hey, Jason, um, you don't mind if I turn the camera off real quick, right? I'm not going to. Yeah, okay. No, that's fine.
All right. Still here. See you here, folks. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, and, and I could vouch for your research ability because I was putting together a video project and I was looking for some really hard to find footage of, of a certain controversial shooting that took place. Okay. And um, <laughs> um, no, not that one. Uh, oh, okay. Columbine. Oh, and, uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, you were able to help me find some real obscure websites that I never heard of. And um, I, and I found the video footage I was looking for. It had been like a memory hold off the internet everywhere, but it was like an FTP server that had some dead oh, link, yeah. but I was able to, yeah. And, and then there it was, uh, you know, nothing ever disappears from the internet. You just have to know where to find it. So how is it that you're able to find all of this stuff that's just been lost to the internet forever, but you find it somehow? Is there, you're, you're muted right now. Yeah, no, I just, um, I'll just, I'll just flat out tell you a lot of it was luck, to be honest. Like I would, I'd piece together certain keywords, right. In the search. Mm -hmm. And I put like certain dates and maybe if I could find a name of a witness or something, I put that in the search too, including Lycos, which goes way back to the nineties. That's still online, I think, <laughs> but I would literally utilize the, um, the Wayback machine and put in different different sets of keywords and things. And sometimes I would get lucky and there'd be something that wasn't blocked or totally erased or whatever. And I was, just, I had, and I still have OCD pretty bad. So I would just keep looking until I find the desired outcome that I was looking for, you know, in terms of like answers for different questions or even articles that were, would bring up information that was never seen or heard about ever again. So just a fascination with a lot of that stuff and a lot of luck when it came to pairing different, just trying different things in the search engines. And sometimes I would get lucky. Well, I know that what you sent me, one of those links was a treasure trove. Like, I think it was a site that was no longer maintained. I don't know if the person lost interest or they died or what, um, but it was like a, an FTP site. Yeah. Um, and then it had all these links and half the links were removed or dead. You know, they didn't go anywhere, but half of them still did. So yeah. I don't know. That's a, that's a pretty massive skill set to have. Cause right now I just did a show with David Knight earlier today and we talked about censorship um, yeah. and link that to what, what it's going to be like in our daily lives, not just the internet. If the CBDC and this, uh, you know, ID digital ID goes through um, it's going to be like, like they censor the internet or they block you from things they, they cancel you. That's what it's going to be like. If, if this new world order plan goes through, um, guarantee you hundred percent, that's what it's good. And they even talk about it like Davos and, and things like that. But the, to be able to find stuff in a day and age when things are being hidden and erased is, is pretty amazing. And, uh, that's gotta be frustrating though, when you try to tell people stuff and they think that you're, you're full of crap and you're like, but I I've seen it with my own eyes, you know? Oh, I've seen all kinds of things over the years that I haven't been able to find ever again, but I know I saw it. I know I read it. I know I heard it, you know? A lot of stuff that has to do with um, Sandy Hook, even, you know, 9-11, um, Columbine. Columbine, they started they started censoring Columbine not too long after Columbine. And that was like the earliest days of the Internet, really, the late 90s and everything. Well, that would have so many con oh, uh, yeah. conflicting stories right out the gate. Like how many people, uh, adult, uh, children, you know, 
Oh, oh there were like eight. To, there were eight to ten shooters reported, but not only by uh, faculty and and students, but also by the local cops too. Men. So how do they silence people? Like, 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 how do they if if something like that happens and it was a false flag, or let's just say it was a drill gone bad or something, and then they they try to um. You know, because I could see that I could see a massive accident happen. Oh crap! I didn't realize we had live rounds. You know, I mean, that shit that almost happen. happened. Well, that almost happened to us in uh, NTC. Um, that's in Fort Irwin. We were out there yeah. for for uh, a month, and they literally issued live rounds to soldiers that were doing a drill, like just yeah. shooting at each other. And what's really sucks is they have a blank adapter on there that makes it cycle with the blank. Yeah. Yeah. Where, it's where it loads the next one if you shoved around if you're basically making a pipe bomb people yeah. could have got seriously hurt and these soldiers aren't necessarily paying attention uh, not all soldiers are the smartest soldiers you know you're either a smart soldier or you're a strong soldier that's the only two right right so um yeah they actually issue them. well yeah so that's what i'm saying they they kind of make that stuff uh go away but how would they silence people like if if i'm standing there and i even seen it with the las vegas shooting um, yeah. people's eyewitness testimony said, you know, I got shot, but there was two people between me and the window. How did that happen? And we also saw people, we heard gunshots moving from left to right across the crowd. Uh, so how, well, Jason, how do they find some people? There's a lot of eyewitnesses that you can go and look at their testimony online that said that they were being shot at by guys on the ground, not even in the window. And let's just remember this, the window, this footage I can't remember the name of the documentary right now. You can find it on uh, BitChute. And uh, I think it's, I don't even want to accidentally say the wrong, uh, say the wrong title, but it's a, it's a, a documentary all about the Las Vegas shooting. And they have footage from inside of Paddock's hotel uh, room where the glass isn't even busted out when they enter oh, the wow. room. So what does that tell you? It tells me that nothing was shot in that room except for him. And, and I don't think you he know, killed to me, either. <laughs> to me, when it comes to the conspiracy theory stuff, uh, you know, you call it conspiracy theory, you can call it conspiracy analyst. Um, I, all the important thing to me, I mean, I, I don't necessarily know that solving the puzzle will ever be something we can accomplish, but I would like to look at the capabilities of the government. We did the Operation Northwoods episode. One of the first episodes we did on on um, digging Chris yeah. Graves, and that I was comfortable doing that because it, everything we talked about was one hundred percent provable. But even if something like uh, digging into a conspiracy theory a little bit, uh, yeah. you know, if it could prove that the government lied, then when I start talking about things like CBDC and uh, digital ID, you know, it's things like that, and they say, "Oh, that sounds crazy." I'm, you know, our government would never do that. Well. The official story nine eleven don't add up. The official story oh, yeah. flight eight hundred don't add up. So they obviously lied. And then I love the fact that they declassified or, or they put out the info on UFOs because that proves that they're liars. They've been lying to us for fifty years about UFOs, and they just oh, admitted that they were. So yeah. th those things, even if we can't solve the puzzle, um, if we can find an inconsistency where they they double down on their lie, and you could prove that one lie, then you can prove what the government is capable of doing. And, and that's yeah. how we get them uh, to, to hit these 50 meter targets. Like, you know, don't take the CBDC, you know, uh, write your congressman about it. Cause otherwise they think it's just some crazy nonsense. 
So I think that the conspiracy theories that we may never solve definitely have their place. Uh, like well, I JFK. always go off of documents too, man. Like anytime yeah. there's witness, witness yeah. statements or ballistics that are weird and off, off the mark and everything, I, I'm not usually just pulling it out of the air. It's stuff that was either hidden from the public to begin with or never shown to the public mm -hmm. to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's why finding that info is so critical, uh, and they, they make it go away. But even if we can't show them, um, and I know you you do your research, uh, just saying in general, um, you know, my show doesn't typically go into the conspiracy theory stuff, uh, but I think that it's worth maybe looking at some of them just to say, look, the government does lie to us, and we're, we're never going to know the truth. It's uh, just corruption. JFK. Analyzing corruption, yep. that's what it is. Yep. I think we can get to a 90%. Uh, like JFK, they're never going to release that stuff ever. But I guarantee you there's no freaking magic bullet and there was not a single shooter. You know, I shoot guns and that's a bolt action, old bolt action rifle. No way, no way, no how, you know. Well, they found a German Mauser was the original story. You got to remember, folks, whenever you see the original reporting, you have to look at it very closely because usually the story changes within the first day or the first day and a half, and then it changes to something yeah. completely different. Yeah, and they always blame that on early reporting, you know. Um, but I mean, we we see it like did when Building Seven went down before it went down. Didn't the reporter say it went down when it was right behind her? Like we all yeah, saw it. the BBC Jane Stanley. Yeah. Um, she said that the Solomon Brothers building, which was building seven, and it was clearly right behind her shoulder, still standing. Yeah. She claimed she made the claim that it had just collapsed. And then when they when they kept talking about it, the her live feed from New York got cut off about five minutes before the building would actually come down behind her. So that was a yeah. little curious too. Then the BBC so that said they lost the footage. And that tells you that the media is in on the lie too. you know, Operation Mockingbird. I really want to do Mockingbird. I just yeah. can't find enough documentation. It's kind of uh, there's references to it. You right. know, um, it was Project Mockingbird. And uh, what was the blue? Uh, what was it? I forget the name of the other one. Yeah. Project uh, Mockingbird. Family Jewels. And, and Family Jewels. Jewels. Yeah. yeah. And that was kind um, of kind of blur, blur the thing too to confuse people. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you can at least dig up enough uh to say okay i can't give you a hundred percent solution on this uh but you know just look, what at, the the church, just look at the church committee in 1975 they go all into uh the media infiltration they even go into um mk ultra stuff they go you know a lot of people think that brainwashing and uh and mind control is the stuff of science fiction it's very much not the case and it is documented uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, we know that. I just don't know. I mean, there's not enough info on it to give a 100% picture. So it, right. it kind of sucks because they give you just enough. Right. And I think that's by design. They, they'll they give people just enough in certain circles that they have to speculate a few things. Yeah. Right. And they're waiting for someone to get that speculation wrong. So they discredit the whole, even though they the gave you 90% of the information that's true, that's, that true information is now deemed to be false. Because that would be the pen, you know. that would be the speculation of what hit the Pentagon in 9/11 was a good right. good uh, good example of the honeypot scenario where they probably yeah, have 
they have footage of whatever hit the building and i never i've never claimed to say that it was a missile or it was a smaller aircraft i just i say show me the videos there's 83 of them foyer requests 83 videos yeah. that exist to this day that they won't release why is that well here's another one the flight 800 thing which we were going to talk about today uh with yeah. chris emory hopefully we get him on next week like i said he had a family emergency so um you know no harm yeah. no foul there well but I, I was uh doing some research on it because i didn't know a lot of i mean i knew the general story i kind of knew the official story uh but yeah. i went back through the official story a couple different uh dramatizations uh a, a basically a news kind of report of the whole thing a breakdown and there's one thing that kind of blows my mind so they they obviously found the flight recorder so the only audio we have is from the the tower but the flight recorder was retrieved because they have transcripts but we never received audio from the flight recorder so why is that so the transcript is something that was just handed to us and said here this is the truth but the divers the divers that retrieved it they retrieved it if i remember correctly and i researched this one quite a bit too the divers claim that they found the black box for flight 800 and then about a half a day later they said that they they didn't they recanted that originally oh. they said in the press that they had the divers found the black box but then afterwards they said that, oops they must have dropped it back in the drink we don't have it anymore you know it was like what you know and i'll tell you something about that jason the thing that got me really curious about flight 800 is something that a lot of people don't talk about the late bill cooper did a whole show on not the whole show but he did a whole show on uh, flight 800 and he brought this up there were hundreds if if not thousands of people that made the claim that they saw footage that night on either cnn or msnbc or ny new york one cable news that they saw various videos of missiles or something appearing to be flare-like objects in the sky blowing up flight 800 and i've been trying to find for years where these videos could have went and they pulled them and i don't think hundreds if not thousands of people were lying about it bill cooper even said on his own show he was watching cnn and he saw footage on that well, first hour of something hitting the plane and blowing it up and he was he said that it most likely was a missile of some sort but who who shot it that was his thing he said he had no idea and he didn't you know you know there was a black hawk style helicopter right under 800 with uh was it national guard in it and one and of the national one guard of the three... yeah, and it, when they landed when they landed they told the truth to a couple of news crews they told the truth and said that they saw a flare they changed the wording to flare but they said missile at first and i have those transcripts too from back in the day so where they one of the they, guys that... yeah they officially his, his said name that, yeah they, they saw it um they saw the trajectory one of the crew one of the crew his name i think was mayor or meyer um last name yes he Meyer. Yes. he used the term military munitions and he never recanted it now the That's other right. two yeah the other two didn't say it well they recanted it or whatever but that guy stood by it he and, stood uh, by and he said he could tell the difference between the, yeah. the the various explosions that happened on it one was a kerosene yeah. you know a fuel explosion and the other one was military ordnance 
That was yeah. Myers. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil that one because uh, hopefully we get Chris Emery. I don't want to steal his thunder on it. Um, he supposedly oh, yeah. has some new new insight or new info. Um, I don't know. You know him. He he does those long form documentaries at Free World. Uh, was it Free World Films? Uh, oh, Free Mind Films. Or Free yeah, Mind yeah. Films. That's right. They got the the sh the Shadow Ring one is excellent. You almost got to sit and watch that in two settings though, because it's pretty long. Oklahoma very, very City, good on Noble Eye. Noble Eye. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's what got me. Just to just to wrap it up, that's what got me wanting to research a lot of this stuff was because of things like the the Flight 800 disappearing videos and footage, or at least I saw still frames of news footage from a helicopter outside of Columbine High School that showed a blue NATO truck parked out front in the beginning of the massacre. And yeah, it had the told me NATO shield, yeah. NATO shield right on the side of it. And they even had like the, the little, uh, I don't know what you would call it. And in, in the front of the truck where if it had to smash into something, you had like the game. Oh, the crash bar, crash bar mm -hmm. and everything. And that had a NATO insignia on the front of it too. Cause it was at a weird angle. I remember, and I can't find, I can't find that website or that, that, those photographs from that footage to save my life but i'm sure it's, it's it was out there and it was kind of like with the flight 800 videos like a lot of people would write into these conspiracy websites back in the day and talk about how they saw this footage of a nato truck out in front of columbine high school and nato's not supposed to be operational within the united states as far as i remember well they'd be using a loaner truck or a rental uh they wouldn't they wouldn't fly a truck over here you know what I'm saying? Which is weird. Yeah, which is weird yeah. because why would they have why would they have NATO insignia all over the there was a dark blue van slash truck and people talked about it. And it's yeah. weird because that was the 9-11 of school shootings, too. Why yeah. is there a NATO truck out in front of like one of the most famous school shootings ever? You know, you look at Gladio and everything, you know, from the past. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> No, that's all right. I guess we can we can wrap it up, brother. We've been uh, a little over now, about an hour and ten minutes, and uh, I know it's late where you're at. I appreciate you so much coming on um, and kind of filling in because I was just going to play a repeat tonight, uh, but you offered to say, "Hey, I, you know, I'll, let's just do a show." All right, let's do it, and uh, we did. Yeah. So the show must go on. Yes, exactly. So, all right. So I guess uh, let everybody know. I like like everybody don't already know who you are but in case i get a new listener that doesn't know who you are where can they find you and uh how can they support you and stuff well they can find me on spotify and all the thanks to you for helping me set that up and that's digging chris graves and also on rumble digging chris graves is the channel i'm on free world three times a week with the help of melissa Hardiburn. Uh, I'll be on Free World tomorrow night with Cranium Blender, which is kind of like a pop culture music video. I know it's audio, folks, but we can play the music video like the music and also talk about different trivia about it. And I think Melissa will be joining me again like she did last week and uh, nice. go through all these different uh, different kinds of music, not just metal or rock or, uh, you know, we I want to try to open it up to all different genres of music and uh, kind of get away from this conspiracy stuff for the most part, you know, because that doesn't really do me any well. I mean, I, there's only so much I could really tell people, you know, that haven't already heard a lot of this stuff. So, like I said, I like like the arts and horror movies and things, comic books, stuff like that, comedy. So 
Let's see. You can find me. I'm on Twitter. I mean, I, don't, I haven't really been up to date with the whole Twitter thing lately um, just because I've been trying to make some money and uh, trying to put some kind of a life together. So that's at Seagraves Mask Guy, and I, I always appreciate you having me on. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on. And if you guys didn't catch the links, well, I'm going slow today on my internet right now. But uh, you could always go to the Knights of the Storm.com, go to the Friends tab, scroll down, find Chris Graves. And he's also got a link tree right here. Um, yep. If you wanted to donate, uh, help Chris out to continue his work, uh, please do so on his PayPal. That would be, a, that'd be a very big help, actually. Yep. Right now, I'm uh, beating up my car doing deliveries, you know, uh, delivering Skittles and Pringle, Pringles to uh, overprivileged college kids right now. But every little bit helps. I appreciate it. All right. Well, I guess I'll get us out of here. Again, thank you so much, Chris. And uh, I guess that does it for tonight. Remember to hold your ground, watch the enemy, improve the foxhole, and always look out for one another. Until next time. You've been watching The Foxhole with Jason Barker.